0: Another reason why it's great for me to be here at Sterling is I, uh, about, I don't, I don't want to give the date away, but back when I was in high school, I went to a church camp, and I met a girl um, from Lyons, Kansas, just down the road here. And we, you know, if you've ever, you know, you were in, in the summer church camp or something and stuff, and you kind of, we was like that, we saw each other from across the room, and that's the way I like to remember it, Right? And so we see each other from across the room, and it's like, you know, we, we, our eyes met and we locked and everything. And so we got to know each other and we became friends and everything. And she invited me to her prom. And so I kind of feel like I've kind of been close here. I actually brought a picture. This is me back in high school. Um, this is our prom picture. As you can tell, that's a long, long time ago, because the hair was, was there at that point. Um, and so it's, it's her dad was actually a professor. Here at Sterling, um, and so it's cool to be here. It's also cool because I used to—I went to William Jewell College, uh, which, if you don't know that, it's—it's it's very much as I as I drove around here, um, just reminded me of my college. It's small liberal arts uh, Christian school. Um, I went there to play play football. There any football players here? No, no, I can't. I, these lights are blinding me, so I don't—I don't even know you guys. Could not even be there. So I just need—I need to hear you because I can't see it. So any anybody football players here? All right, all right. Um, I came to William Jewell to play to play football um, and meet girls. And I played two years of football and I didn't meet a lot of girls, but uh, it was a great opportunity and a great experience. And so as I walk around here, I kind of notice that as well. I, I see. Um, it just takes me back. To my, to my college days. And so tonight, I kind of want to talk to you guys. We're going to talk about um, what I call uh, misplaced hope. And, and, and if you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible app on your phone or something, we're going to be um, digging in John uh, chapter 5, all right, and just talking about um, ways that we can misplace our hope. Um, and, and before we fully get into the scripture, I want to I want to tell you about how ways in my life I have misplaced my hope. And the number one way to my family, that I've had a wrong hope. I've hoped in the wrong thing. Is in bargain hotel sites. You know what I'm talking about. You guys have seen those. Um, you seen those commercials like the Priceline negotiator commercials or Hotwire. You guys. I don't know if you guys. You guys are in college. I don't know how many hotels you're booking. But um, for me, you know, I work for a church. My wife's a teacher, and so we're not taking like these these cruises or these like long like uh, plane vacations to the beach. All right, we, our vacations are like St. Louis and Omaha and Oklahoma City, places like, we've got four kids, so places that you can drive in a very quick amount of time, which they've got a lot of kid-friendly stuff, um, and, and you can, like, spend a, a, a couple days or, or a week. And so um, we do these, um, you know, once a year or so, we're kind of make one of these short uh, vacations and everything. And so, um, like I said, we don't, we don't make a lot of money. We're not rolling it. And so we... I, I like to get online and I like to find just like a, a cheap hotel. I get on Priceline or get on Hotwire and are like are like find deals and everything. I'm like, honey, I, I think I got the deal. This says it's like a four star hotel, fifty dollars a night. Can I book it? Can I book it? She's always she, we've been burned several times, so she's like, okay, you can book it. And I book it, and it's like you know, it's it's never it's never the nice hotels. It's never the ones that like you know um, that. You know the NBC suites or, or whatnot it's like the hotels that are a little bit little bit messed up they're just trying to make it all right and so my the worst one I've ever done is it was with a groupon okay and we're going to St. Louis and at this time we had had um, our, our third son isaiah he was he was about two years old or so and um, it, we'd gotten to the point of like we need a suite all right we need a, a lot of room, and so we have to have like double beds and a pull-out couch, or else we're just all on top of each other and everything. And so I was like, this, babe, this, this hotel has a suite. It's got a pool. This is It's an indoor pool. This is legit. This is going to be it. It's a Groupon. It's cheap. Can I book it? And she, once again, we've been burned so many times. She says, okay, you, you can book it. And so I book it, and I look at the picture. This, this place looks nice. All right, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I get this so cheap. And so we go, we go to St. Louis. We drive, and, and you kind of— you know when you start getting close to a place and you kind of look and, and you like you drive by like some nice hotels and then you start to kind of make make a couple turns and the GPS is sending you you're like I don't know about this this area that I'm going to and it turns out this hotel was um, you know there's the casino hotels and those are really nice because it's right by the casino and they want to treat you well this was the hotel that was next to the casino hotel. And so it's not quite, it's kind of like off-off-Broadway. It's not quite what you're looking for. And so we pull up, and you already know it's bad because it says, like, um, newly renovated. Right? And so you, if, if any time you're newly renovated, that means, like, they're still trying to work out the kinks. And so we get to this hotel, and we get in, and the first thing we notice, pool closed. And it's like, oh, my wife's looking at me. She's like, this is the last time we're ever going to do this. We got the boys got their swimsuits. All right, it's spring break, but it's like one of those spring breaks where it's it's 30 degrees in, in you know in the Midwest. Um, and so, we're like the boys are planning on swimming. We got our swimming trunks on and everything. I'm like, all right, I, I, you know, what, babe, let's just go to the let's go to the room and stuff. It'll be nice to lay down and everything. And in the hotel, it set it said a suite, but apparently suite in off. Off street casino language and suite in like family of five language is a lot different. All right. And so it had one bed and it had a couch, but the couch didn't pull off. You could like take the cup, you could take the um, pillows off and kind of make a makeshift bed. And so we had five of us. We got one bed, we got one small couch, and we're all trying to make this work. And then the third thing that went wrong was there was no bathtub. And, you know, my kids are not taking, they're not shower kids yet. You know, we try to get in the shower kids. You guys seen those commercials where it's, like, the first kid and you're, like, bathing and the second kid, like, they they put the the baby in with the dad in the shower. You anybody seen that commercial? No? You guys don't watch TV. You're in college. I understand. Um, and so, like, like, we're trying to get our kids to take showers because it's quick, but they don't take showers. So we, like, we need a bath and there's no bathtub. And so the... It was just the the showers didn't quite work well. The faucets were off. It was a bad, bad experience. And I swore, I told my wife, that's the last hotel, bargain hotel, I will ever do. I'm going to do legit hotels from now on. Because I had a false hope that if I could save some money, then everything else would work out. And so as we look into um, John chapter 5, we're going to meet a man, a man who has his hope um, misplaced. All right, and so it starts off, it says, um, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been born, or one man was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now I work with... um, mainly with high school and middle school students. And one of the things when I'm working with them is, um, one of the main complaints I get is like, there's the, like Adam, the Bible is boring. I don't want to read the Bible. It's just, it's, it just doesn't interest me and everything. And what I tell them, I was like, listen, listen, that's because you're not digging in, all right? got to dig in to the Bible to find out what it's really about. Because when you dig in, you start to realize there's more than what's going on just from by, by what you read they are like real people and real events and real things happening. And so when we dig into this passage, we realize we've got two people here, okay? We've got the, the invalid man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And then we've got Jesus, this man that has the power and the ability to change this dude's life forever. And so Jesus and this man are about to come into contact, and something amazing is going to happen here. But first let's talk about let's talk about this man here. This man has been paralyzed, right, for 38 years. For 38 years he has sat at this pool and waited for the hope that he could get in the pool somehow and he could be healed. Now I'm 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 a little bit older than the 38. And I, you know, I take take away like the baby years and everything. I don't know if I've ever had to endure something for that long. I mean, I've had to endure some things for for a while, for a short period of time. But for 38 years, I think I would be going crazy. I think I would have lost all all hope. I would be desperate. I think I would have wanted to end my life. I may have even ended my life by now. And so this man is, is sitting here, and he just wants to get in the pool. He just wants to be healed. He wants to—he's to, to, seen other people be healed, but he just never can do it. And before we get to Jesus, I want to I explain something here, all right? If you guys—if you have a Bible or um, if, you, if you look at this, there's actually a verse missing from this, this passage. Verse 4 is missing, and it's like, why? That's weird. Did they forget it? Like, what, what happened? And actually, this is, this is, I'm just throwing this out here because I think this is cool. I think it's something um, that we need, we need to know because a lot of times people will attack the Bible and they'll say, like, well, the Bible is, is not true. Or we, how can you really trust the Bible and know that it's true? Because you know what? It's just been people that have been um, writing and, and rewriting and it's, you know, they've made up these stories. How do you know they're accurate? You weren't there and everything. And so here, verse four. The reason verse four is is missing, all right, is because the Bible is um, the Bible is is actually translated from ancient Greek manuscripts. The New Testament is is translated from ancient Greek manuscripts that have been found in archaeological digs. And there are over five thousand of these original manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts that Bible scholars have been able to use. And so what, what had happened was at one point when the King James Version, anybody, anybody have like grandmothers or anything that like swear by the King James, like King James only people? Once again, I can't see you, so you got to make some noise. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Here's something to throw out, throw out to grandma or whoever, whoever it is. It's like, so the King James Version was the earliest, it's kind of one of the earliest translations we have. all right And it was using manuscripts which were a little bit later than the original event that happened. And so it's somewhere along in these, in these manuscripts, all right, if you, if you look at verse 7, it says, um, when the pool, the man tells Jesus, when the pool water is stirred up, there's nobody there to help me in. And so the, the question is, what's stirring the pool? What does that mean, stirred up? Well, John, the original writer, kind of left that out. He left that detail out. And one of the original, um, one of the, the, the people that were kind of copying this, this is before photocopiers, you couldn't just run to FedEx or Kinko's and stuff and like put it down and photocopy it. So people would write it by hand. And so one of the guys who knew the history, you know, had been there and knew about the pool, this pool in Bethesda, he knew that the, the, the kind of the, the um, legend of the pool was that an angel would come, and he would kind of stir the waters. And when the waters stirred, people could go down and be healed. And so he kind of wrote this in the margin of one of the, early manu- of one of the manuscripts. And so when the King James Version came, they added that to the manuscript. And they said, this is, this is part of it. But when people found earlier versions than the ones that, were, that the King James was, um, in, was copied from, they're like, well, this isn't in here. This wasn't in the original manuscript of the Bible. So we're going to take it out because we want this to be accurate as can be. And so when people question the Bible's accuracy, we know the people that wrote that um, copied the Bible that were in charge of keeping it accurate, they took it seriously, even by leaving out a detail that somebody else later added that could have helped us understand the story better. They said, you know what, that's not in the original version. We're going to leave it out. That's a, that's a side note. I'm going to throw that out there. Um, for your King James grandma, you can say, listen, the King James, it adds something that's not really in the Bible. Booyah, grandma, there you go. So that's, a, that's, that's for you guys. That's a freebie, okay? Um, now, Jesus comes on the scene, and it says, Jesus sees the man. Now, this was a, a place that was full of paralytics, full of sick, full of lame people. This was a huge crowd. It says, Jesus came and he saw this man. It said, Jesus knew how long this man had been suffering. Jesus knew that that this man had had been without hope. He had been um, desperate. He had been this way for so long, for 38 years. And so Jesus comes and he sees, he comes specifically and go straight to this man. Now, I know not all of us here are believers because like I said, I went to a school much like this and I was on the football team and I played sports and stuff and I, and I know that um, sometimes you're just coming to ball. You don't, you don't care about the history of the school or you don't care what it represents and everything. And so I just want to let you know that Jesus Jesus doesn't just kind of do anything, Just nothing, nothing happens out of coincidence. Jesus isn't there out of coincidence. Jesus doesn't pick this man out of the multitudes, out of the crowd, just out of coincidence. Jesus has a purpose for this man's life. I want to tell you that, that your being here at this college isn't just by quinces. isn't just by you saying, like, hey, I just need a place to play football, or I just need a place to to get away, or I want to see what Midwest Kansas looks like. Is it really as flat as people say it is? Yes, it is. Um, God has you here for a purpose. God has you here, and he sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees what you're struggling with, and he knows it. As we're going to find out later, he's got, he wants you to deal with it, and he wants to help rescue you out of that. Now, for some of us, I know that um, you came here because, you know, you're like, this is, a, this is a Christian school, and they've got maybe a Christian major that I'm in, or, or just I, you know, mom or dad went here or whatever, but, but I want to come here and be a part of the Christian community, and I want to just, um, you know, come here and worship and, and celebrate and everything. And I, I was like that. And one of the things I, I most regret is you notice that Jesus comes here to be with the hurting man. Not to hang out over here with his disciples. And so one of my biggest regrets was I didn't open my eyes enough when I was in school. I didn't open my eyes enough to see, like, who is hurting around me. I was concerned about kind of staying in my, my protected kind of bubble And not going and reaching out and finding, and maybe kind of getting my hands a little bit dirty. And finding real people with real hurts and real pains. And so that's you, I encourage you, that that Jesus never was about just playing it safe. And just protecting him and, and, and his followers. Jesus was always looking for the hurting person. And so Jesus walks up to this man and Jesus asked him one of the, the I mean, I, I love Jesus and I, I will never question him, but this has to be one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard somebody ask, right? He asked the man, what does he ask the man? Does anybody know? Do you wanna be healed? I was like, duh. Yeah, yeah Jesus, of course I wanna be. No, I like sitting here, I like laying here and not being able to walk. Watching all these other people go in and everything, you know, I I see people walking and everything, and it, it looks boring and everything. I want to be healed, Jesus. But the man doesn't say that. In fact, the man doesn't even answer Jesus' question the way that he wants him to, or the way that you would expect him to. It says the man answers him. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And when I'm going, another steps down before me. It's like he doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed, Jesus. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, I, I, I want to be healed, I just can't. He, he's got excuses. And I think part of it is he's been this way for so long, and he's probably had other people say, why don't you go and get healed? And he's in this mindset so much of I can't do it, There's I'm trapped in here, I'm stuck, I can't make it out, that he doesn't even hear Jesus' question for what it is. He doesn't hear that that Jesus is asking him, hey, there's a way that this can happen. Do you want to be healed? He's quick with like, I can't do it. I'm stuck in this situation. And for 38 years, he's kind of had his hope in someday I'm going to get in that pool. And someday I'm going to get healed. But that someday has never come. So it's almost like this definition, like have you guys heard this? What's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And so this man is expecting different results But all he's ever done is sit here and wait to get in the pool. And he's so stuck and trapped, he doesn't realize that the man that's asking him if he wants to be healed has the power to do it. But the great thing about Jesus is, Jesus doesn't need an invitation. Jesus doesn't need the man to agree with him. Jesus just needs to say the words. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, Get up, take your bed. And walk. And at once the man is healed and he gets up and he takes his bed and he walks away. Now, for 38 years, this man has has waited and waited and hoped that one day this might happen. And he's so caught up in, in, in this situation, he doesn't even look and see who it is that offers the healing for him. And I want to say, like, this this man is is blind and and, and dumb, and I realize, you know what, I'm the same way as this man. That for so long, I've I've put my hope in things that are tangible and things that are seen and things that are, are right in front of me, and I forget that there is a God who has the power to get me out of that situation, to heal me, if I just... Simply look and expect that to happen. When I was in college and, and in my 20s and everything, um, living that single life, right, there was this loneliness in me. This loneliness of that probably came partly because never having a father in my life, being raised by a single mother who worked all the time, And so kind of being by myself a lot. And so never really having family around me and just wanting someone to share my life with. And so, you know, you kind of, You get this idea of like, I'm gonna go to college, I'm gonna gonna meet some people and everything, but I gotta get my career going. And so I I got my career going and stuff, and I'm doing ministry. I'm like, all right, now I'm doing ministry. Like, God, bring me a girl to come along and do ministry with me, and we're gonna be, we're like, fall in love because we both love Jesus and we're gonna love each other, and it's gonna be beautiful. And it just never happened. And so I, I waited, and I waited, and I'm like, God, I'm lonely. God, God, what? Bring me a girl to, to help me to come do ministry with, and, and we both will love you and will love each other. But it just didn't happen. I was lonely. And if I can be really vulnerable with you guys, when I was when I was young and once again raised by a single mother and, and, and um, not a lot of rules in my house, and, and so I could kind of go and, as I wanted and as I pleased and stuff, and so... I would spend a lot of times at friends' houses, and my friends were a lot in the same situations. They didn't have a lot of rules. They didn't have like, a lot of like, stable families, and so I'll never, we, fourth grade, and we find my friend's stepfather's pornography collection. It like, opens up this whole world of curiosity, and shame, and arousal, and it opened up this path Of struggling with an addiction to pornography. I kept saying, God, when I when I got to high school, I went to a church camp and I I came to know the Lord as my as my savior. And I was like, God, deliver me from this addiction, heal me from this addiction. And and it happened for a while, and then I kind of college happened, and more freedom and more exposure and I got trapped back into it. And I said, God, I'm, I'm doing ministry. Give me, a, give me a girl so we can do ministry together, and she can love you, and I love you, and then we'll love each other, and I won't have to look at porn anymore. But God never brought the girl. Until eight years later, God brought the girl. We fell in love, and we got married, And I said, God, I've made it. I've made it. I'm finally, I've arrived. I've got the girl. We're married. I don't need to be lonely anymore. I don't need to look at pornography anymore. And it went well for a couple months. And then something else happened. You know what? We both realized that we're both sinful people, that we're both not perfect. We may be perfect for each other, but we're still not perfect. And so all of a sudden it's like, God, I'm still lonely. God, I still want to look at pornography. God, my hope was when I got married, like all this would be taken care of. Like I've been waiting, and I've been waiting, and it finally happened. But it's still there. And God said, Adam, I'm here, and I've been here all along. Do you want to get well? You see, I've been putting my hope in that someday I would reach that, that, that kind of pinnacle of, of marriage, and it would be like the movies and the love songs and everything, and everything would work out perfectly. And sure, we would fight because, like, I'm real. Like, I know people fight. But love will see us through, Right? And this will take care of all my worries and my insecurities and my loneliness and everything. And you know what? No person can do that. And some of you are thinking like, hey, when I get out of college, I'm going to get the career and I'm going to get the money and I'm going to finally be a success and I'm going to be able to accomplish my dreams and do the things that I want. And I'm here to tell you that you're putting your hope in the wrong things, Because eventually that career is going to overwork you and spit you out. Or it's going to pull itself, the rug out from under you, and you're not going to have that career anymore. Or you're going to realize, you know what? I'm still lonely. This money isn't solving anything. Some of you are putting that hope in like I was in that that marriage. You're going to find that person, and then everything's going to be perfect. Your life's finally going to be complete. But nobody's perfect. And those problems that you bring into the marriage are going to stay in the marriage. And so God is looking at you and he's saying, listen, do you want to be well? I'm right here. I'm here to heal you. All you need to do is put your trust in me. All you need to do is is look at me as the one that can heal you, not in the situation that you're in. And it wasn't until I realized, you know what, I put my hope in the wrong things. No matter how good they seem, my wife will never fully fulfill me because she's not perfect. But you know what, I know a God who is perfect. And God, I'm sorry that I got it wrong. I'm sorry that I thought that, you know, once you give me these things on this earth, my life will be complete. I didn't realize that my life is complete in you and that my final hope is in you and that one day everything will be perfect. One day everything will be the way it should be. But until then, I just need to rest and I need to hope and I need to come to you and I need to be comforted by you because you see me in my pain and you've always seen me. Now, the story with the, the man, the, the, the paralyzed man, doesn't, doesn't end there. John goes on and he says this. It says, um, it says, the, the day that the man was healed was Sabbath. If you know anything, um, about the religious leaders of the time, the religious leaders always had a beef with Jesus. There's always something that was wrong. They were always looking for a way to be mad at Jesus, and so this idea of Sabbath and doing stuff on the Sabbath was like the the, the number one thing that they'd like to do, that they like to you know um, like bust people on. And so this man who's just been healed, he's carrying a mat, and in the religious law of that day, that was considered work. And when, when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, one of those was take, uh, was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And God was up, set up um, traditions and, and um, calendars and everything was based on, just like how God did in Genesis when he created the world, was based on six days you work and on the seventh day you rest. And so these religious leaders, as religious people tend to do, sometimes we get so worked up about like, trying to make sure everybody fits in the right boxes, we kind of come up with new ways, and so they decided, like, hey, there's all these things that are considered work, and one of those things was, like, you can't carry things because that's work. That's, like, you're exerting energy, and so this man, just by carrying his mat, was working, and so the religious leaders said to him, they said, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed, but he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Well, they asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man had been healed. He did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now Jesus sees the man, he heals the man, he takes care of a physical need for the man. But Jesus knows that there's something deeper inside this man. Jesus knows that it would not be loving, it would seem loving, for him to heal this man of this pain and his problems that he'd been going through. But it's not truly loving to let him go if he doesn't really know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that Jesus has the power and the ability to forgive his sins. And so Jesus finds the man again, and he forgives him. And Jesus says this, this very interesting thing, which, you know, for, um, when I was going through this passage, it was like, Jesus, why, why do you say it like this? He says, He says, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And back in Jesus' time and, and, and some people still today and sometimes even in, our, in kind of the, the backs of our minds, we equate, like, sin, bad things that happen in our life with the sin in our life. Some people call it karma, right? You know, what I found is, like, no matter how, if you, if, even if you are a believer in Christ and you don't believe in karma, you still kind of believe in karma a bit, and it's like something bad happens to you, and you're like, what? why did this happen? What did I do that was bad? And so, so as I'm reading this, I'm like, Jesus says, sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus, are you saying, like, if you continue to sin, you're going to get worse than paralyzed? Which, what is worse than, than paralyzed for 39 years or whatever? And I'm embarrassed to say, it actually, it dawned on me when I'm driving here, right? I'm driving here, I'm trying to work this out in my mind, and, and like, like, God, I know you're not like this and everything. And it dawned on me, what's worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? And that's being dead and being tormented for eternity. See, it would have been loving for Jesus to say, like, hey, you're healed. I took care of your physical pain. I took care of your physical problems in this world. Go. And, and, and good luck. Like, you're going to have a great time now in life because you can walk and you can run and you can do all these things. You're going to be loving life now. But you know what? Jesus knew there is a life to come. And Jesus knew that this man didn't just need a healing. He needed to know Jesus as a Savior. And once again, I, like I said before, I know that some of you have come here and, and you don't, you're not sure about this God thing. And I think... What I want to tell you is I think you're putting your hope in something wrong. You're putting your hope in that things are all going to work out in the end. You're not sure what happens after we die, and you're just kind of hoping it's not what everybody's been preaching. You're kind of hoping it's not what everybody's been saying. You just hope it kind of all works out. And I'm, I mean, I'm here to tell you that that's a misplaced hope. That's the wrong place to place your hope. Last Christmas, my family and I, we took a real vacation. All right, my boys, they love Legos. All right, they, they get, every Christmas, every birthday, it's like, what do you want for your Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Legos, give me Legos, I want Legos, 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 Legos. And it's like a minefield in our house, all right? Like, I, um, like I'm gonna have foot problems when I'm older because I've stepped on so many Legos. But this Christmas, we took the boys to Legoland. And you know what, I didn't get the Bargain Hotel. We stayed in the Legoland Hotel. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And this is like, this is a little boy's dream. Everything in the Legoland Hotel is made of Legos. And on the TV is Lego Movies 24-7, and there's this special, like when you're waiting for the elevator, there's a special place where you could step on it, and if you jump on it, it makes a fart sound. And what little boy does not love a fart sound? And as we stayed in the Legoland Hotel, and there was no fighting, my wife and I got along, the kids got along, we ate buffets, and they liked the food and they could drink soda, and it was heaven. And I thought, I am never going to put my hope in these bargain, cheap hotels ever again. And I'm here to tell you that if you could get a taste of heaven, if you get a taste of what Jesus offers to you, then it would be like that Legoland Hotel, you would realize what is actually out there. And you would stop putting your hope in the what-ifs and the maybes that are that I don't want to think about it right now. And you would realize there is a God who loves you. There is a God that has a plan for your life. There is a God that sees you where you are for who you are and where your hurts are. And he's offering his hand. He's saying, do you want to be healed not just of your, of your addictions and not just of your, your pain and your loneliness, but do you want to be healed of your sin? Do you want to be healed of the ways, the cycles and the patterns in your life that just keep coming up? The way that you keep lying all the time to make yourself seem better than you really are, to kind of keep up with the status that you've created, that you need to have on social media or, or whatever, whatever. Jesus wants to offer you a way out of that. And he wants to show you there's something so much better. And so if you'd like to hear about that, I'm here, I'm here. And i also love to tell you about our our internship but most of all I wanna tell you about this Jesus that I know and how he can heal you if you wanna be healed. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you um, that you see us for who we are, and yet you still love us, Lord. Do you have compassion on us just like you did for, for the man that had been paralyzed, God? And you don't want to see us in this hurt, in this misplaced hope, in this way that we get it wrong, Lord. And so, God, I thank you that you are powerful enough that you offer a hand out, you offer a way out. You have the power to heal body, mind, and spirit. And so may we do that, Lord. May we ask you for that healing, Lord. May we run into it and and see it for what it is, paradise. We pray this in your name, amen.